hey, it's the Great Debates. Oh, baby. And wow. uh, and we're doing a Zoom uh, because we wanted to get together once again with our friends John Mayer and BJ Novak over the holidays. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, we're welcoming them to a virtual debate, holiday debate. Hey, guys, how's it going? Good. 2020. <laughs> it's going 2020. Healy, did you have a nice Christmas? Oh, it was so nice. Yeah, it was actually really nice. It was. I'm peaceful. sorry, wait, uh, I should interrupt you because I shouldn't have asked you that because on the great debates, what we try to do is get right into it. I was thrown. I was thrown. Yeah. And I, we I don't sort of, have Christmas reminiscences. We get right into it. No, but I do have a Christmas top that I thought we could just begin with. Great. Um, and I thought what we would do here to kind of like ease into the whole debate thing, because John and and BJ haven't really debated all year is we could do a um, classic uh, great debate face off Healy versus King. Good. Okay. Yeah. After the debate, I'm going to invite John and BJ to um, give their thoughts on it. Do sort okay, of post show post debate. Um, and so the only thing I am going to change up is we're going to have Davis take the pro. Wow. Wow. 2020. I'm ready. Let's get to it. What's the top? The topic is Santa is a religious figure. I'm Dave King and I'm taking the pro. Happy holidays to everyone. Santa Claus is a religious figure. Uh, he, he, Christmas is a Christian holiday. The word Christ is right in there. I grew up not Christian. I was raised as a little Jewish boy and I didn't recognize Santa as any kind of figure. He didn't mean anything to me and he doesn't mean anything to a lot of people. And the reason is they're not Christians. And that wouldn't be the case if it weren't a, if he weren't a religious figure. It's pretty simple. Now, he may not be in any biblical text. He may not be in any religious, uh, official religious text, but he's certainly a uh, a mascot of the Christian church, if you will, and therefore he's a religious figure. I strongly disagree, Dave. Um, Steve Healy, I'm taking the con. Santa is a folk figure. He's a pop culture figure. He's a mythological figure in some ways. You could say he speaks to a mythological need, but there is no religion on earth that's going to claim this guy. I mean, in a Christian church, they're always trying to get you off Santa, back on Jesus. He's contrary to the message they're selling. And Santa manages to sneak in there despite the efforts of the priests and the reverends to put the focus back on Jesus, Santa's still there. Now, of course, as we all know, the Santa that we think of, the red suit and all that, uh, I think mainly comes from Coca-Cola ads. The sneaking down the chimney, the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, those are accumulated things from uh, children's books and children's movies and songs that gathered over the years, uh, pretty much specifically in America. I know other countries have a Santa-like figure, but I think... Other Christian holidays, that's right. Yes. The specifics of Santa are pretty much American. They're specific uh, to people who worship Jesus Christ as in the, the Lord UK. Savior, they've got right? Father Christmas. Figure. So every nation kind of evolves. Its Christians, own uh, sorry, it's Christians in the UK. Sure. Not it has in roots UK. in Christianity. It's connected to some Christian stuff. It, it, it breathes oxygen from Christianity, but it, Santa's not a religious figure. He's a, uh, folk pop culture mythological uh, figure as I've laid out. But that doesn't preclude him from being a religious figure. And so I can only draw from my own experience here, but I would point to figures like uh, either the Chelmites or the Dybbuk from like Yiddish folklore. These are characters who are uh, folk figures and to some extent mythological figures, just like you claim that Santa Claus is. But certainly they're also religious figures. They're, they have a great role of importance in the Jewish tradition. If I ask See, you- Dave, this is where Jew- Judaism as a religion and Judaism as a culture, you can't just smush them together. They're two connected but independent threads and traditions. And similarly, you know, Christmas, Santaism, connected to Christianity, tied to it, but there's room for everyone. There's no religious ass. There wasn't room for Santa. me. There isn't room. There isn't room for people who don't celebrate oh, Christmas. Totally. If you and in fact, for a lot Santa of for billions your, uh, of people on earth, it, he's meaningless. If you want to add Santa anything. to your Jewish well, or uh I understand I'm not saying that he, that's fine. I'm not I'm not I understand that like you're saying no it's okay if Dave you want to celebrate Santa Claus and you're yeah. saying anyone can celebrate Santa Claus, but to like, most people on earth, 
he doesn't mean anything because they don't celebrate Christmas because they're not Christian. And just because uh, secular Christians or secular Jews, for that matter, welcome Santa into their home doesn't mean that he's not a religious figure. He's still representative of a religious holiday. He you can is be a Christian without Santa. You can have Santa without Christianity. He's divorced from this religion. You, you can connect them. He's kind of connected to a holiday that... Christianity sort of co-opted sure from earlier pagan Christmas traditions. Without Santa Claus. I'm not I'm not sure that in America in 2020 or 2021 you can have Christmas with Christmas without Santa Claus. In fact, show me the family, show me the family that celebrates Christmas but has specifically decided any Santa iconography or any mention of Santa is not allowed in our yes, Christmas. Yes, that would That's happen in a hardcore Christmas Christian family. A really Christian family would be like get Santa out of there. He's not part of this. this is about the birth of Jesus, uh, and they would kick Santa out. That's why that, that's evidence for him not being a religious figure. I'm going to make that my closing statement. My closing statement will be as simple as this. Santa is part of Christmas. Christmas is part of Christ and celebrates the birth of Jesus Christ, and therefore he's a religious figure. Can I jump in? Please. Yeah. John Mayer here. I've been writing a couple things down as you were talking. Uh, Dave, you had a very good hit in there when you said that Santa is representative of a religious holiday and therefore is a religious figure. Two questions. Has anyone ever prayed to Santa? Yes, children do all the time. Is they that a write prayer? Letters to him. Yes, I'm sure they do. Is it, I, a... it, may be mis- it may be misguided, but absolutely children pray to Santa. I wouldn't be surprised if there are adults who pray to Santa as well. Please, Santa, bring me this this Christmas. Do you pray to a waiter? Do I pray to a waiter? I don't know. Oh, I hope I get this. Out there Can I hope I get this? All right, that didn't work, <laughs> that last question. But then my next question is, uh, if Santa is a religious figure because he is representative of a religious holiday, then what or who is Frosty the Snowman? Hmm. Well, is Frosty the Snowman a religious figure by that measure? Uh, by that measure, yes, I, I think he is. Uh, and to be fully blunt, Frosty the Snowman really didn't mean anything to me because he was part of celebrating Christmas. Did and you ever he, make a snowman? Did you? I did make a snowman, but it was never Frosty. Well, it was never in the spirit of Christmas. I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't correlate making a snowman with celebrating Christmas, and Frosty the Snowman did, and therefore I felt excluded by the celebration of Frosty the Snowman. If I'm remembering the story correctly, I mean, so to by the way, I'll expand this. I even don't like. I have problems with the movie Elf. I liked it. And then at the very end, when the moral of the story was Santa is actually real and brings presents to Christian boys and girls, I was like, oh, okay, this isn't for me. I don't celebrate this. I think Elf is a religious movie. Mm. Now, maybe that should have been the top. It is interesting. Santa is, as soon as you know that Santa is not real, you don't believe in him anymore. Does that make him not a religious figure? Because... Um, I was I was going to make that point, uh, too, in the post-show, Healy. I, I've never heard anyone say, I'm very religious. I believe in Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, he's for kids. I think Dave is missing. There, there's what appeared to him as a Christian monoculture is actually has a lot of shades and variants. Mm-hmm. And sure. Santa is connected to that, but it, not exclusive uh, to that. The more religious you are, the less Santa you're going to hear about at Christmas. Dave, a, a good point for you, Dave, would have been uh, he's he's yeah. a saint. Is Saint Nick? Great point. It's a saint. Left I, I, if, Dino, what do you think? Here, that what John really just kind of had shot my my main arrow. You know what I'm saying? He, the guy's got Santa in his name. We're not. We don't speak a Latinate uh, Latin root language here. But Santa is the word for saint in a lot of the Christian world. So you know, the, as soon as you speak his, even his nickname, uh, you're you're talking about religion. And I think Dave, if you had just kind of pounded the table about that you might have stopped Healy's aggressive sort of taking apart. Yeah, I agree. I thought, yeah, I'll I'll let BJ go in a second, but I thought Healy really won it when he argued that 
you will find the exclusion of Santa in the most religious and Christian homes. Uh, but BJ, what were you going to say? But I, I was going to just agree as a fan breaking down the debate. You know, I was I was excited about King taking this position as a longtime King fan because the opportunity you had and, and I saw it as your only opportunity to take down an airtight Healy theory that a theologian would never engage uh, the meaning of Santa Claus. Right. Your opportunity, your only opportunity was to to take down the barrier between religion and all mythology and fiction. Mm. And I think you could have done it if you had zeroed right in on it. I think you're capable of it. And I would have really liked that, but that was really your only path I felt. And, and it was just, it was too big an ask, I think uh, just right off the bat. Well, it sounds like I let everyone down uh, in the first one. Say, and, uh, <laughs> just a few notes. We have, we have just a few notes. No, that's good. You're, you guys are wow. exactly right. Cole and Dave's debate stocking. Doesn't it feel, though, that... <laughs> let me ask you this. Is Santa a more religious figure than the Easter Bunny? Yes. Yeah. He is, right? Yes. He's yes. closer, yeah. He's closer. Well, I think, I think the fact that Christianity would suffer a huge blow... Whoa. If Santa were to yeah. convert to Judaism, for example, <laughs> if, if they lost Santa, yeah. Christianity would freak out. You know, they can they can lose the Easter money. So I feel that he could the way that people can become saints. I could see Santa Claus becoming a religious figure. You know, Christianity is only 2000 years old. Right. So how old is Santa Claus? 500, 300. That's a considerable portion. I can imagine you know, 500 years from now, him sort of sneaking into the canon. Yeah. If Santa converted to Islam, it would be a game changer. We can all agree. Game changer. Oh, cover of Time magazine, no question. <laughs> <laughs> You'd hear about it on the day. You'd definitely hear about it, yeah. <laughs> I like the Santa allegories that he's he's not quite part of the 2,000-year-old canon. He's like a member of, like a new member of the Stones, but he's been in it for like 20 years. Right. Yeah. The Stones have yet to put him in the promo shot. Yeah. <laughs> he's like yet to be in the photo, but he's like no, a but de facto this, Stone. This is like Christianity featuring Gospels of John, Paul, Luke, and featuring Santa Claus, special and guest. He's, and he's it's right. like, oh, I'm going to go see Santa. I know he's not in the band. But right. like it's like Eric Clapton playing with the Beatles, you know. It's right. exciting. It's like, eh. The Eric Clapton and the Beatles is the best. That's a very close. Mm. See, I think it's more like Billy Preston. I don't see him as a guest. <laughs> oh, I see him wow. as like the arguably wow. the fifth Beatle, and not just like guest soloing on while my guitar gently weeps or whatever. He's like from the same thing, spawning mm. from the same cultural pond. Anyway, let's move on. New let's debates. Move. Okay, new debates. New debates. <laughs> so, I don't know about you, but there's a special feeling that I get on the day after Christmas. It's sort of like a huge event has happened. We've been, you know, waiting for it all year. I've been doing all my holiday shopping. It's been very busy. And then finally, like Christmas evening, I'm ready to like turn the page. I might want to go in any other year. I might want to go see a movie or something like get my mind off of the Christmas tree for a little while. There's something about that, that uh, moment, like after Christmas where it could be a big letdown, but we've got new year's coming up. And so I've got a cop about that. And I thought that, uh, BJ and Healy could take the pro. And I don't know which of you would like to go first. BJ, take the lead here, man. You yeah, sure. That sounds You've had since last Christmas to get fired up. Yeah. And, uh, John and Dave are going to take the con. Uh, and the top is the vibe between Christmas and New Year's is nice. Uh, well, first, I'm not a Christian, but ma'am, I am tonight. <laughs> I understand the Christmas traditions. I am a part of them uh, culturally. And I can say that when people say, how were your holidays? They're talking about a break. And the real break of it is that you get, you people tend to have an overwhelming agenda planned for Christmas Day. Maybe it was thrilling. Maybe it was exhausting. Maybe somewhere in between. But it was planned, structured, organized, and intense. New Year's Eve, same way. Planned, it was a disappointment, it was exciting, it was surprisingly chill, but it is, 
it is there's a stress built into it. The actual vacation are the unplanned days that sneak in there, that lost week where there is no work, there are no events, there's no holidays. Boxing Day is is a joke. I still don't understand it. My dad's Canadian. He's never understood it. So these are the, the only real vacation days of the entire year. It's a week where no one's doing anything. No one's expected to do anything. Whatever lethargy you're a part of, you can instantly erase with your New Year's Day resolution, fresh start right around the corner. This is your vacation. And uh, those days are, are incredibly special uh, in, in the life of the calendar year. I sure would love to take the con on this. It's John here. I agree with you, BJ. It is a lost week. And I don't know of anyone ever describing their lost week as something great. Um, the vibe is not nice. Um, you've described with some adjectives things that I don't ever equate with being nice. You're basically talking about an amorphous, dark, First of all, let's stick with the physical here. The sun is gone at 4 p.m. That is a terribly depressing feeling. And I'm not even going to factor in the pandemic. This is a handily made point without it. So let's take it. Every year, we forget this week exists. And so we are ill-prepared for what it brings us. We are lost in space between Christmas and New Year's. We forget to check. There's no structure. And what you might be describing as something good would be great up until about the age of 12. I agree. If you're 12, it's got to be awesome because you still don't understand anything chronological or temporal. If you have a life, you have a life that feels funny in the week between Christmas and New Year's because Yes, time off is good, but you forget that there is still structure in time off and there is zero structure inside of this. You are surrounded with snacks that are not fun to eat anymore. You're sort of stuck in this sort of carcass of Christmas for a week. TV shows are not live. CNN, the news goes into reruns. How dark does time have to be? For the news to go into reruns and show you documentaries about the 70s, it is a slow descent into a depression you don't realize you've got until it's too late. And it is a sick fever dream-like trip into a sense memory of sort of having the flu. You're sort of home for that week as if you had the flu. And that is why the vibe between Christmas and New Year's is anything nice okay let me just counterattack a little bit christmas happens you're not done there has to be something else it can't just end you can't just go back into your life it just won't work there's been too much there needed to be some kind of wind down and what culture as it always does came up with this perfectly balanced perfectly arranged solution which is a couple days of, as BJ pointed out, just unmemorable, like the 26th, 27th, 28th. Now it's the 29th of December and there's still the 30th and then it's New Year's Eve. Okay, that is something cool and special. It's like one last, it's like a present you forgot was under the Christmas tree. One last special little thing. Then you get into New Year's, blow it out. You're ready to blow it out lean into it in a more relaxed way if that's what you're ready for but one way or another january 1 we know is a new start you're done christmas you're not done there needed to be a finishing there needed to be like a like a nice steak that you have to let sit or something after you cook it it's like that's what christmas is like and that's what this the wonderful vibe of these days is like i don't know why healy naming off the numbers of the days was supposed to convey yes. to us that it feels nice. If anything, I got the sense that John was talking about, which is limbo, hibernation state, dead. Think about what people are actually doing during these days. You're traveling. A lot of people get sick. You're dealing with inclement weather. Uh, BJ, if you're going to quote uh, Marcone, I would say that the appropriate line here is, in the middle of the pouring rain, I'm walking in Memphis. That's what I think of when I think of the last week of December. It's an in-between state. Is it nice? 
I don't think so. Maybe at best it's restful, but everyone is out of sync. Schedules are off. Some people are in town. Some people are out of town. If you have kids, they're not in school and therefore the parents are busy. That's fun. Are you in town? That's fun. No, it, 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 it is the Sunday night scaries for a week. If Sunday night creeps had a festival, this, that week would be it's Coachella of just yours. And by the way, let me also say whatever vice you engaged in on the 25th will be sure to grab you by the ankle and pull you under like an undertow for the next seven days. If you ate poorly on the 25th, you will eat poorly all week. If you got high on the 25th, you will get high all week. It is a sticky, dark, kind of uh, gross like like a swamp, it pulls you down into whatever the incorrect behavior was that was good on Christmas, but it's going to be multiplied by eight and against your will. Isn't there a place for that? Isn't there a place for this decadent, loungy, uh, hibernating kind yeah. of? Yeah, but it's not I'll a nice place. The place There's se- several places. The places are Cabo. The places are home. The places are skiing. Anytime you talk about a Christmas vacation, you're talking about this week. Where are you going over the holidays? What's your Christmas vacation? Oh, you're staying at home. That sounds wonderful. You're not talking about Christmas. You're not talking about New Year's. You're talking about this week. A lot of great places for it. I think you could also hear people. You can also hear people talk positively about having the flu. Well, you know what? I was running pretty, pretty hard right before then. I know why I got sick. And it gave me the chance to sort of answer some emails and catch up on some much-needed rest. The vibe of that is not nice. Well, so, Healy, why can't we just go back to the way things were the day after Christmas? Can you imagine if you were a kid and the very next day you got to show off everything you got for Christmas, like at school or at your house with your friends? What, why is it better to take another week to do nothing? I don't understand why just because that's the way it's always been necessarily means that it's better this way. I mean, we uh, we could try it the other way. I think we'll find it lacking for the reasons we've laid out. <laughs> Medina, what do you think? Well, I, here's the thing. I mean, Healy, I think you and and DJ made a, a really strong case, and I think you're probably right. But the in the theater of the debate. It's not about fact and it's not about that. It's not it's like about what you take home with you. And I got to tell you, I'm never going to forget the phrase, the carcass of Christmas for as long as I live. <laughs> what I do guys. That's a winner. Yeah. So that may have been a silver bullet in the, Oof. in the Did heart. you guys, let me ask you a question. Was the vibe of today where this is the 26th that we're talking. Did you, would you think the vibe of today was nice? Oh, I had a great day. Yeah. Great yeah, day. Too. We went and <laughs> tried to play the kite and kick the soccer ball and did the whole thing. There Let's check back go. in next, I mean, Tuesday, next Tuesday. We'll, we'll imagine you got in. the carcass at Christmas and you have to go to work. That's just not going to play. I think that was left on the table, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the idea that, that like, you got to cram in the bullshit of everyday life in between Christmas and New Year's, that's, that's not to say that... Um, uh, that you guys lost. I still think I took the, the idea that you could have a hangover there. Um, so I don't know. You know, your ambitious boss would try and cram something in in the Christmas to New Year's you run. You if that were tolerated. Yeah. You're right. If you had your druthers for real, if you could lay out the calendar, wouldn't you prefer to have like the last two weeks of December off? but have Christmas on, say, the 29th and New Year's yes. on the 31st? I would. Absolutely. absolutely. I need four There's, days. Th- yeah. There could be a tightening there. Yes, tightening. <laughs> it. A day or two. I need a, I need a couple of days. You need a couple yeah. of days. Okay. But wait, Dan, do you need 26th, 27th, 28th? You don't have to say I, all the numbers again, Healy. We don't have <laughs> any days there. <laughs> no, but I think he's actually doing me the favor of drawing out how long. Like, Think of how long it takes for him to say the days. That's how. Well, no, I can. No, no, John, a day. talking your thing about uh, the vice that's going to pull you underground, I kind of think the days helps with that a little bit because you get to like the 28th and you're like, okay, well, it's not New Year's yet. I'm eating like crap again. No, you're right. I need it's to pull purge. myself together. It's the purge. It really is a center. There's a chance to pull yourself together. But 
Why would you pull yourself together on the 29th? You should do what I'm doing right now. I'm eating as much as I possibly can. I'm like preparing for a before photo. I'm bulking up for a before photo. And I know I'm doing it. That's not a good vibe. I, I hate to keep fighting this fight. It's not a good vibe to eat in such a way as to basically medicinally eat too much so that when you work out, you have a good springboard into health. I think it's actually like I think seasonal. It is good. I think it makes sense. It's what we're supposed to be doing. Get a little layer of fat on us for the winter. Mm-hmm. I think That's doing it with complete self-acceptance and, uh, yes. and a sense of humor is, is the, exactly the way to do it. I think right. there's a, I don't, it's a little sinister. It's not hundred percent laughs for me. There's a little let's, bit of a, there's a little bit of disgrace. Give you permission, you know? Yeah. Well, the pandemic has given us all permission. I feel like yeah. the pandemic is like that scene in the Tim Burton Batman where everyone stops wearing the makeup because they're not sure which Joker products combined to make the poison. Oh, that's and great. so the same way that the newscasters are sitting there with no makeup and boils at, like, we're all sort of like, we can't use any of the Joker products. It's how we all look. God, I forgot about that scene. Yeah, it's a it's great a, scene. Yeah. Speaking of the pandemic. Oh. Yeah. Oh. I got another top. Oh, oh. fuck yes. Here we the COVID nineteen pandemic. This one. Yeah. So we're all yeah. the same. Uh huh. Right. So I thought um, maybe John and Dave could be on the pro side of this one. I'd like that. And. Uh, and Healy and BJ uh, could be on a team. You guys can decide who goes first. Here's the top. I'm just going to throw it out there. If you had a great 2020, you should just shut up about it. <laughs> yeah. um, John, you want me? To, how would you? Would you like to kick this off for the? Pros? I think I. I think I could do better as the sniper on the hill. You go. Okay, first. great. If you had a great 2020, just shut up about it. Listen. So many people have suffered. It's okay to reflect with gratitude. It's okay to say, here are some things that went that like I'm thankful for this year, but no one needs to hear that like this year when everyone, when most people chose to basically sequester themselves from the rest of society and struggled with psychological, logistical, financial problems never uh, never encountered before, this is not the time to gloat. As as diplomatically as you think you might be able to do it, we don't need to hear that or people don't need to hear that. I'm going to sort of like, I don't think I had a particularly good or bad 2020. I think it was for the most part like sad and tough, uh, and not in like a live life or death way, but just in the, the way of like, you know, of, of, I guess, like the average one of our friends or something like that, where you don't get to see your family and there's frustrations and um, you just get kind of lonely at times. If you had a great 2020, great. But this is so obviously the time to shut up about it. What is there to gain from telling people how amazingly you did this year? The answer is only your own self-gratification. It's only ego and it's just not worth it. Inspiration. Uplift. That's what people are craving. You look, I'm Steve Healy. I'm taking the con on this. BJ is going to back me up in a sec. Yeah. I'm just going to try and make this as quick as possible. But you look around, what do we see? Cynicism, disgust, lack of faith in institutions, sad story after sad story. Everybody's got one. Everybody knows one. Everybody's probably living one. What do we need? Inspiration, uplift. If you wrote uh, 300 poems this year, I want to hear about it. If you learned to play the guitar, learn Portuguese, figured out a system to uh, put your time to use, I want to hear about it. You need to be shouting that from the rooftops. We need to hear the stories of success not just the stories of failure and defeat and sickness and uh, corruption and whatever else is floating around out there. I want to read the poems. I don't want to hear that you were able to write 300 poems and you had a great year and you're such an amazing person. If I want inspiration, I'd like to read your work. I I don't want to hear about how amazing you are for having gotten the work done. Well, Dave, the poems themselves are quite sad. They're quite somber. But I am pleased that I've accomplished writing all these poems. So okay, is, I don't believe you. I don't think you, Steve Healy, actually wrote 300 poems. No, I'm and speaking, I think an even uh, sad poems for the can, character we came up with. Great. Sad poems, somber poems can still be inspiring. I think someone who went through a difficult 2020 would gain so much more from reading sad and somber poems than they would from listening to someone crow. But you guys wouldn't even let me tell you that I wrote the poems. You don't even want to hear about it. Okay. You know what? I I wanted to share my poems with the guys, but it seems like they just don't want to hear anything about accomplishments this year. So I think I'll just keep my poems quiet. 
That's what people are hearing after they heard your argument. That's not how I think Dave works. Dave, you made you made a, a very very compelling argument, but you made it against the wrong guy. You made it against a, a straw man who is basically crowing that he he made a lot on Bitcoin this year. You picked a fictional person who is bragging and celebrating uh, some selfish success. That is not at all the realm of, of meaning to if you had a great 2020. If you had a child, if you fell in love, if you got in touch with nature or your family, if you are Holmes. so grateful that your year was not interrupted, you, you didn't lose a loved one, so you came to appreciate them so much. You understood, you always hated driving to meetings and seeing people, and now you realize how much you like that kind of thing in your life. You had an odd year, it threw you off, you realized you needed a pause, and there were some amazing silver linings, and you are very grateful you actually had a great 2020. That kind of person should absolutely talk. I'll, I'll let John jump in whenever he wants, but I would say that realizing that you actually kind of like going to meetings to me does not meet, meet the threshold of what it is to have a great 2020. And if you <laughs> did have a great life event, such as getting married or having a child, by all means, that should be celebrated. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't, um, you know, let even let people know about it. But I think within the spirit of just shut up about it is making an announcement or, or telling people about it in such a way that at the very least understands the tone of the moment and say, and not just and acknowledging, hey, things are tough, but we did have, I did want people to know we had a child, it's really helped us, or not it's really helped us, but like, it's a great beacon of light, his name is such and such, he looks like my grandfather, whatever, like those details, I'm not saying like you shouldn't be able to share those, but in, in the case of like, hey, everyone should know something that happened, I'm not saying like literally shut up about it, but at the very least understand that for every child that was born, there is sadly yes. uh, someone who died of COVID-19 this year. This is exactly where I was going to take it, which is something as simple as saying, let's say there was a lottery and everyone got handed a piece of paper and it said live and die on it. And you were uh, or, or it said you're going to you're going to be first class on the boat and everyone else is going to be in the water. You would probably keep that to yourself because you would be aware that th there wouldn't be a lot of grace involved in letting someone else know that, oh, I got picked. I'm on. I got picked to be uh, first class on the boat. You would uh, now. I also want to say that BJ, the way you just described that was very articulate and very graceful. Number one, I don't think it's repeatable all the time, and I also think that the scenario you have in your mind of explaining this is probably to someone you already know and who already appreciates you. What we're talking about with shut up, shutting up about it on a numbers level has to do with small talk, has to do with talking to people. Hey, how's your twenty twenty? Pretty bad, right? You're going to go. Actually, for me, it was pretty great. I don't believe there's any way that you can sensitively uh, articulate that to someone and have them go, you know what? I'm happy for you. I just don't think that kind of empathy is, um, is everywhere. So I think because of that, you should keep your, uh, your, your blessings in your pocket just a little bit, knowing that the law of averages has it, that the person that you might be, even if it's gr filled with gratitude, it is still boastful. I would say you might want to keep that to yourself so as not to create the sense in the other person that their year was even more inadequate compared to yours. Yeah. Mm. Medina? Oh, debate there. Medina, what do you think? I really tugged in both directions here, you know. Um, I think that, that maybe the, like, tightrope that's being walked is... It's one thing to have some great things happen to you during 2020 and to talk about them. My son was born at the very beginning of the pandemic. He's a great guy. We're having a good time with him. But to then take that and frame a like, uh, I had a great 2020 mm. is a step too far, perhaps. Mm. Mm. Maybe you have to let the other person deduce that. So you had a pretty great 2020. You go, well, if that's the way you look at it. In some right. ways, uh, we were very fortunate. <laughs> yeah. Roses and thorns. Roses and thorns. Just shut up about it. Debates. Did you guys have a good 2020? Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs>
no one wants to say yes. And I can't complain. Correct. Can't complain. I, I there are, someone asked me to give a number on a scale of one to 10, how my 2020 was. And there's two separate answers. There is empirically, how was 2020? And I think the question people want the answer to is, how, was, how did you navigate 2020? And I think it's a, it's a more fair and clear answer to say that I think I navigated 2020 very well. Mm. It's relative to the situation, but I made it through in a way that I navigated very well. I would say like I only wrote about 70 poems. That's how I would <laughs> on a scale of zero to 300 poems written. That's hey, you know, one good one. John, how would you, where would you put 2020 on like years of your life? It's certainly not going to be top half, I'm guessing. And, and no. don't, don't, don't uh, round down for, you know, successful navigation of a difficult year. I right, mean, right, right, right. No, know. well, it's hard to tell because I didn't have to cancel much because it was already going to be an off year. So that one's hard for me to tell. Uh, if this were a year I had a record queued up and it had come out for two months and I was ready to go on the road, there would have been sacrifices. And there certainly were sacrifices, but they were more on a philosophical level. But I really feel like this year w- will and should go down as like that girl you dated for a week in college you forgot about, or that one year of SNL when that was the cast, or the, that one time, you know what I mean? These sort of strange, novel, unrepeatable moments that because they're so different, don't quite grab on to your memory. I would like it to be slightly fugue state-like. Mm. So yeah, that would be, yeah. I, I, and I actually think there's a good chance that it boils down into an asterisk uh, in people's minds more than a year unto itself. Because like it's so that we, You're hoping that we just kind of don't remember it. it seems like. Well, I'm hoping it's strange enough that it actually doesn't get counted as a year. Therefore, the average of your life uh, doesn't have to have that low number in it. Right. It'll be like when Robert Downey was on SNL and you're like, oh, I didn't yeah, say it, you did. That, that was, my, that, that was yeah. the cast I was thinking about. <laughs> okay. I didn't want to say it. But yeah, when you see Robert Downey Jr. in SNL, you go, I forgot that happened. Wow, or you'll see yeah, like somebody dated Gwyneth Paltrow and you go, they dated? Huh. It doesn't really count against how you feel about Gwyneth Paltrow. You go, oh, that's right. They dated for a month. Right. Brad Pitt and Juliette Lewis dated. Mm. It's like the Olympics when they throw out the lowest and the highest. Yeah. And this is the this is like almost everyone's lowest. And then, right. you know, we'll, we'll see what's going to yeah, be the we'll highest. See. We'll see. 2021, maybe. Maybe that's going to be the highest. Medina, tell me we got one more top in there. I got at least one more top. Okay, I think we should switch the teams up a little bit. Because uh, I think we got a good energy going there, but now if we mess with it, maybe we'll get something fun and new. Um, so I've got a fun sort of, let's take our minds off of this BS and imagine something hypothetical. Uh, or not, depending on how you look at it. Um, so in this top, Healy and John are going to take the pro. Oh, nice. BJ and Dave, the con. And this topic is giving your friend, your, sorry, giving your 14 best friends each a million dollars in a briefcase is a cool move. John, post, walk us through this. Post, post, well, sorry, post say it again. Post, post yeah. Clooney. BJ, do you want to get, sort of stipulate uh, just for like inform the viewers, listeners who don't know what we're talking about, what happened, and what we're referring to here? Sure, this is the now famous. I don't think, put any story. spin on it; just the no. facts. <laughs> Thank you. The facts, because I write. Um, George Clooney years ago, as a gift to his fourteen closest friends who had been with him uh, through thick and thin, he summoned them all to his home and he gave them each a briefcase with a million dollars cash inside tax free and stipulated that if any one of them refused the gift, none of them would get it. This is a story that was a legend in uh, Hollywood circles for years and recently confirmed uh, by all parties. Now I do want to edit. I believe it was a suitcase with a million dollars, 14 suitcases. That makes more sense. That's fine. You can have suitcase because I think a briefcase is is cooler. So suitcase it is. Already it's getting lamer. I would debate. (laughs) 
I would debate that suitcase is cooler because it's more whimsical in it. No, it's a little more self-aware. <laughs> also, well, maybe he's, maybe they weren't hundreds. Suitcase. We could talk all day just about briefcase versus suitcase. I, I think a, a suitcase is purposefully cartoonish and therefore has just enough of a wink to not be douchey. Okay, a John, we got to make the case here. Like, this is obviously great. It's a cool thing to do for your... It's not for everybody. Not everybody's going to have the opportunity to do this. But you got 14 friends. You're George Clooney. You're a huge movie star. Yeah, give them a million bucks. Whatever. These but guys I, like, well, on their couch. But this case, this is post-Clooney. This, this is, is about... Is it cool to do it now? That is it cool to do it now? When you would obviously be copying Clooney. And uh, the answer still, surprisingly to me even, is yes, it's still cool. And the reason is the number of people who are able to give 14 friends $1 million is so infinitesimally small that you could never wag a finger at it and say it's copycat behavior because it's just already such a small number of people who are able to do that. And the barrier to entry is the generosity of giving a million dollars to 14 of your friends. I say, if that's corny, may everyone be corny because that's an incredible thing to do. Also, copycat is cool. You know, we copy the style of movie stars we admire. Why shouldn't we copy their cool? But by the way, uh, and let me throw this in, and I'm sorry to talk over you, but this is exciting for me. We ask people to copy all the time when we say, please donate. Please copy me. I donated. Hey, everyone, I just donated to this crowdfund for someone whose medical bills need to get paid. Please copy me. Well, this isn't a donation and this isn't charity. And I think that's part of the reason why this isn't cool. And I'll start with that. A million dollars to your 14 best friends is a little garish. It's not cool. It's not, if you're trying to be helpful and charitable, there's far better ways to spend $14 million. On top of which, if you are able to give $14 million away, chances are a large number of your 14 best friends themselves are very, very wealthy and don't need a million dollars. That's just the nature of the way like human beings tend to hang out. They tend to associate with people in similar income and wealth brackets. So if you're giving money away, okay, so maybe some of your friends like needed it. We know in the case of George Clooney that some of the friends were multimillionaires and some of them were guys, you know, I think the story is that it's like guys whose couches he slept on when he first moved to LA and this money meant a great deal to them. Well, that's great. You can do that without also giving money away to the people who are already rich. You could also give money away to like $14 million is a substantial amount of money to give away. And to give it solely to your friends is quite frankly, a look at me move. Like if you, why not give it anonymously if you're going to have to give it away? I'll start with that as my opening uh, con. BJ, I don't know if you want to jump in or if we should let them, the other side. Keep oh, no, I, I think that was great. I mean, you you really took an aggressive angle that it wasn't even cool when Clooney did it. And so I'll, I thought you made a good case there and I'll take it a step further, which is that copying a celebrity, such a, a mainstream famous celebrity like George Clooney, copying his haircut is a little uncool. If you say to your bar, your barber, make it exactly like this George Clooney photo, it's cutely embarrassing. Okay, it's fine. If you were to see his house in a magazine and ask for an exact replica of George Clooney's house, and then you told everyone, I got a replica made of George Clooney's house, I don't think I'd think that was cool. I'd think that okay, sure, that person loves George Clooney. I, I wouldn't think that was cool. This is many levels beyond that. This is the most signature, unique thing that George Clooney has ever done that, that cost him $14 million plus the taxes for it, so more like 17 or $18 million, that, that only George Clooney has ever done. You did exactly the same thing. That means that you, you really took your George Clooney, again, who's not like, it's not like being a... Um, a fan of Nick Cave or someone a little offbeat. That's your thing. This is George Clooney. He's on the cover of People magazine this week. So that makes it additionally uncool. I'd like to uh, throw in a few thoughts here. Uh, it is tacit that if George Clooney is giving 14 friends $1 million, he has first given countless millions of dollars to charity. And I think this is provable. So number one, this is him saying, I've done so well that after all the T's have been crossed and the I's have been dotted and I have given to the world, 
I also want to give some, this money did not come from some other fund. This came from George Clooney's personal back pocket. The second thing I want to say is that I think it's great that he has 14 friends in different tax brackets who have done differently with their life. Some have become famous actors. Some have become distillers. Some have just uh, also gone on to be great in their fields, though their fields paid them less. And he looks at his friends, not as who's the richest of my friends. Oh, I've got a couple friends who already have millions. He, in the eyes of George Clooney, he sees the friends that he had in his lean years fighting for sitcoms that never made it past pilot. He still sees not their bank accounts. He sees them as an even group of 14 friends who all gave him love and support at a time when he most needed it. And I think that is true altruism. And if anybody wants to copy that, I say, may the world be full of that kind of forgery. Here, here. More Clooney's. People do What's in your eyes? That's the question. It's not cool to do exactly what was in George Clooney's eyes. What's in your it's eyes? Nice. It's nice. It's it's generous. But also, these people are now all beholden to you. If you're one of his rich friends, it's just weird. I didn't need this. I kind of wish you had just given this away to something else. And now I have one more million dollars. And every time I see you, I'm going to, both of us are going to know that you did this thing, this like alpha silverback move where you gave me a thousand dollars and it's a million dollars in a suitcase, even though I'm whatever, Brad Pitt, maybe, I don't know, is one of his, I don't know if he got the million dollars, but like, what is, it doesn't mean anything to me other than it's like, now I got to be like, oh, thank you. That was so cool. If I need the money, if I'm a, if I'm his friend who, uh, whose couch George slept on years ago and is like trying to make ends meet, now I'm like beholden to you for the rest of no. my life. I'm like in your debt forever. It's not a comfortable place to be. You're looking at this in a vacuum of just one act that George Clooney has done. We know yes, that George correct. Clooney. We're looking at this act because that's yes, because someone else. No, is no, 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 this. no. We're looking we're, at the second time. That's this right. Is done. That's right. But you're but yes, but you're arguing the merits of whether or not the first time was comfortable or no. made his friends uncomfortable. I, I well, did. Well, I did. I no, you don't have yes. to, but I did. did. But you don't even have yeah. to. Yeah. I, don't, I know why you don't want me to make this point. I know why you don't want me to score this goal. It's because we're taking this in a very reductive manner. There's no doubt that being friends with George Clooney over the years has seen hundreds of these types of silly, fun little things. And it's surely in keeping with a tenor that he and his friends have always had going on. Nobody feels funny. I guarantee you, 14 out of 14 had a two-word answer to get being given a million dollars. Classic George. No, actually not true. We know that at least one of his friends was like, I can't accept this. I want to give this back. And George, as BJ said earlier, stipulated that if anyone gives the money back, then no one gets the money. So in fact, this did make at least one person and probably others uncomfortable. They were like, I wish this did not happen. Now, you know what? Strength, said, strength on a weakness. also said classic strength George. Strength on a weakness. But if they did, what they meant was George's can be very annoying <laughs> like this because he always does things that remind us that he's the richest and most successful of us and he's always pranking us and it's pretty annoying but it's still worth it to be friends with him because he gives us these guys i want to i want to warn the pro side here this is like when you're playing chess and your queen is exposed what king did here he got you on your back foot you don't even realize it now now the whole debate is whether or not it was cool clooney did it you're going to run out of time and Medina's going to say, okay, you won that it was cool that Clooney did it, but you you never made the case that the second guy who does this cool. I'm worried. I want a good debate well, here. Guys. What I a cool did. tradition this would be. This would be a great tradition if anybody who had the opportunity to do this started Thank doing you. it. People would work a little harder. They'd pay more so, attention to their friends. So, so it's called Clooneying somebody. He clooneyed his him. friends. Oh, clooneyed like, clooneyed my boys. Him. Everybody would know what, <laughs> know what it means. He clooneyed his boys. Well, he went full Clooney. 14, baby. Why would people work? People wouldn't work harder. All they would do is try to work harder to get to be one of the 14 best friends of the richest people on earth. That's not attainable because you just don't know who the Clooney in your friend circle is going to be. I I, I clued out. 
I, well, I clued it has it. to be someone with at least $14 million. So that's a pretty limiting factor for me, at least. Look, I'm the guy <laughs> getting the 14 suitcases in my world. I'm okay. pretty sure of it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Uh, I don't know. I think it's tough. Medina, what are you thinking, man? Well, I'll tell you, I think that the the debate hinges on something that you guys both touched on from opposite uh, ends of the ring. And that is like, first of all, was it cool that Cl- Clooney did it at all? And second of all, is this a torch that can be passed to another person who might do it in a cool way? Is it possible to do this in a cool way? Was it ever cool? I don't know. I think the jury's out. And I think the reality is like, there's probably someone who could make this a very cool move. Depends. Can you hear about the first female Clooneying? That's going to be huge. Yes. <laughs> sure. Well, by the way, do you think Clooney is not the first person to have done it, but the first person to advertise it? And maybe there are pre-Clooney people who did it and went, I never had to tell the world. Yeah. Hmm. I didn't even bother with the suitcases. Uh, my guess right. is that someone has right. done the suitcase, s- right. Right. That there, someone has done this in some form, but the exact number of 14 people and a million dollars is that Clooney was the first. Okay, there, let me say this now that the debate may be over. Yes, I think it there is. There is, I think the only offensive part is the sort of squareness of a million. It, it has a boyhood, like playing MASH in school. Remember you would do the thing, uh-huh. mansion, apartment, shack, house. Sure. And it would be like, uh, how much are you going to be a homeless person? Or will you give 14 friends $1 million? It has the signature of an eighth grader's thought. Right. It's, right. Sure. It's what, an, it's what an eighth grader would think being rich was. Right. Maybe it's next person it should be like a hundred Bitcoin or something. Some Bitcoin. I mean, would it would it change anyone's mind if it was a check that was direct deposited and fourteen people got calls from their business manager oh, saying I, I think it is cool that it's very boyish. I, I think that part I do too. Briefcase a suitcase, that is what makes it cool. <laughs> if it's like, hey, check your bank account, you know, That's check right. the direct deposit, there's an extra million, it's it would throw me more. I no, like part- the ceremony. Part of the fun, for sure, is like, okay, wait, now I have a suitcase with a million dollars in it. How do I get this yeah. home, and what am I doing? That's right. It, that's that, fun. And that's the prank part of Clooney. Or yeah. that uh, is Clooney being a prankster. Of, of a Richard Kind movie. <laughs> that's <laughs> drive exactly. home, and guess so, what happens? Let Richard me ask you this question. Did. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Do you believe there is video and that then, exists? Sorry, and then in the press room, Richard Kind's like, no, it did happen to me. <laughs> It's based on my life. It's not a high concept movie. <laughs> Do you believe there's video that exists? Probably Clooney's taking it of these 14 friends reacting. Is there a reaction video that exists? Well, that's a good question. It was I a long doubt time this ago. guy didn't take a video. Come on. One of Hollywood's greatest onset pranksters. Cool that's what makes legends legends. Mm. They, everyone has to describe them. I think he took it. You can't just video. be like, look. I think he videoed. It was only just confirmed, right? What if this is a deliberate act by a man known to be a mischievous prankster, not as an act of charity, but as an act of mischief and just screwing with everybody's head? I think that's how he sees it. An act of whimsy, to quote, uh, uh, what's her name? (laughs) Maya Angelou's prank show. Um, I don't think it was. I think it's a look at me. I'm such a good guy move. I think he had Grant... Uh, shoot it. I think he gave the camera to Grant. Grant has love. Yeah, and he was like, make sure you get this. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's a weird one. Was Grant one of them? Uh, he may have been. That's a good question. I wish there was a... There should be a Wikipedia page for this that's like the 14 people who got his million right. dollars. I don't right. know. Right. So far, the only ones we've confirmed are Cindy Crawford's husband. Is that right? R- uh, yeah. Randy, Randy Herber. Herber. Yeah. And is there an, and Richard Kind? So listen, I'll tell you something. I don't want. I don't want people going into debt, uh, getting out big loans. To yeah, you. good. Don't thank do you this for bringing this up. Really have like yeah. way more than fourteen million dollars. Uh, question for you guys: Do you think it is possible that this act 
could net him more than $14 million in a movie or cultural cachet, just an yeah. overall Q, higher Q rating? Can he look at it like a return on investment? Well, was this just an investment? I mean, I think that's definitely the case of those like great tips that we see celebrities leave occasionally where it's like, you know, if you leave $3,000 tips, one of them is going to put it on social right. media and right. it's worth way more than $1,000 yes, yes. in, in publicity. But Oh, uh, Mark, our producer is reminding us that one of the others is uh, Ben Weiss, uh, the uh, AD, a former AD on Friends, whose couch uh, 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 Clooney used to crash on. He was a recipient of the million dollars. Um, uh, what were we talking about? I'm sorry. Whether it could be a return on investment. I mean, in a oh, way, yeah, that's what karma is. Million is a lot. That's a lot to make back. But somehow, look what yeah. he made with Randy Gerber on Casamigos. Maybe that friendship was further cemented. By wow. Interesting. There well, you go. So that leads me to like, do you think that the group of friends has any role to play here in whether or not it's cool? You know, like yeah. sure it's an act of a dude giving the money, but like if he's giving it to these 14 great guys or this team of rivals or whatever, like, is that, does that somehow make it sort of, yeah, it does. seems like a dream team. Doesn't well, it? I'll also, I mean, I, I assume Clooney is clean, but I could also imagine a situation now that I think about it. These are the 14 people most likely to have dirt on Clooney. Right. <laughs> That's fascinating. That's great. Okay. I'm going to take us into one final top, Look, we, we've, we've been in the holiday spirit. We've been talking about the merits uh, or demerits of the era between Christmas and New Year's that comes every year. There's an article of clothing that I think every one of, of the dudes in this virtual room will, um, will uh, sort of kind of like agree comes to mind during a time like this. And uh, so I'm going to introduce a top about it. We're going to have John and King take the pro and, and, and uh, Healy and BJ take the con. And I think this could be a nice sort of good night top here. Uh, and that is ain't nothing like a good pair of slippers. There ain't nothing like a good pair of slippers. This is John and I'll be taking the pro especially in the week between Christmas and New Year's, which I think has a very nice vibe. Uh, you're, they are, for the indoor life, a bit like ca the, the car of the, of the inside. It is a luxury item, no doubt. Beloved, because you see how long people keep their slippers for. Dogs chew through them and people still wear them. They could easily get a new pair. These are my pair. People log time in them. They have memories in them. They are always lined with the softest thing affordable. They are incredibly comfortable. And they also give you the sense that you are sort of parking as you get out of them to get into bed and reboarding as you go over to the kitchen. Mm. Now more than ever, that's a very welcome feeling that you're actually getting into a vehicle, a method of conveyance around the house. They are the unofficial fashion mascot of being comfortable, not just feeling comfortable, but being comfortable. If someone leaves the house and they're wearing slippers, you would look at that person and go, well, aren't you comfortable right now? Aren't you a little too comfortable, I might say? But that person would want to advertise to the world that they are in comfort by wearing slippers. And we oftentimes put slippers on characters in movies we want to really emphasize are just having a real, real, real comfortable, relaxing time with life. And that is why there's just nothing like a great pair of slippers. Okay, I'm going to make a counter argument. It's going to be very short. Your nice socks. They're a lot like a nice pair of slippers. They're warm. They're cozy. Socks are getting better and better. They've got thick socks. They've got socks you can wear outside. They've got socks with little grippies. I kind of feel like slippers have been put out of business by the improvement in socks. That's sort of all I got to say about it. I think that's a kill shot on this. BJ, you got anything? I agree. I have to say not only that, but you can sleep in socks and you can quickly layer socks if you want to step outside with shoes, 
uh, or with uh, Crocs or something like that. Whereas with slippers, it's really a, a decision that boxes you in for a while. You have to remove the slippers and start all over again with your day. If uh, you want to get into bed, you want to get the, the newspaper outside, it's, it's a, an unnecessary step, I'm, I'm sad to say. And, and I have to also argue, John, I don't think they're the official uh, clothing item of the week between Christmas and New Year's because generally that's when people are on vacation and nobody packs slippers because you bring your socks. They're an unnecessary garment. They're a garnish. They're, they have a place, but there's also nothing like parsley. It, it doesn't mean yeah, that there's yeah, nothing yeah. like parsley. You certainly don't have to bring your slippers on vacation. I understand that. And most people on any year are not going on vacation the week between Christmas and New Year's. You said something very interesting. You sort of alluded to putting on slippers as sort of like 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 putting stepping into slippers. You slip into slippers. It is not an act. Right. It's a reflex. Right. It's reflexive. It's like it's like stepping your hands into water. It doesn't happen. They just they it, it, and and by the way, Healy, what you were describing socks, the evolution of socks as being is basically socks trying to close the gap on socks and slippers. They're getting nubbier. Okay, those are the soles of slippers. They're getting more comfortable. They're getting thicker. That's what slippers are. So, yeah, if you're describing socks as being better than slippers because they're becoming more like slippers, then I would posit that slippers themselves are still better. What's also becoming more like slippers are shoes. Shoes, sneakers, they're getting very comfortable. I don't know if slippers are going to even be in business in in. 25 years very worried about slippers you guys have argued our side and you don't realize it you you guys are saying that uh you said that slippers are a garnish uh, i agree there's no food that's quite like garnish and there ain't nothing quite like putting on a pair of slippers it's not that they're as it's that we're not even suggesting necessarily that they're better than socks or more versatile than socks but there isn't anything that is quite like the feeling of putting on slippers warming your feet up and knowing that you're giving yourself over to as a, one of you guys said you're committing to a certain amount of indoor time and that's exactly right that's what the slipper connotes not only is it, it, it does it just hug your feet with warmth, but it also says, I am taking a, a certain amount of leisure time here. Yes. Now, again, they may, that may not be as versatile as socks. Okay, you can't sleep in slippers or most pairs of slippers. That's not what slippers are for. That's not what I'm. That's not what I'm in the slipper game for. What I'm wearing slippers for is that feeling of putting on slippers and knowing I'm home. My feet are warm. My feet are cozy. The, there is nothing quite like the sensation of your feet going from cold to warm. And I, for, I actually really believe this. And you may think this is a stretch here, but there's even some science that suggests that sexual health and the ability of people to have a pleasurable sexual experience is tied to the warmth of their feet. And I really, not to be like a weirdo foot guy here, but I do think that there is Unlike when you can, unlike when you are generally cold and you just want to put on a sweater or a hat or a vest, when your feet are cold, when your feet are that icy cold from walking on a cold floor in the winter, and may I add, socks aren't quite getting it done because I've purchased wool socks, I've purchased the warmest socks, and they can still be cold if you're not wearing slippers as well indoors. Good slippers, insulated slippers. I'm talking like wool, mohair, whatever it is that works for your body. There ain't nothing like that feeling. Whew. I also want to say what other footwear totally encompasses the foot that you can slip into. I know there are sandals. You can slip, but you're going to be slipping the whole time. Those are nothing but slip. How about one slip and then you don't slip again? Right slip, whoop, left slip, boom. Say goodbye to slipping until the next time you slip out of them. They're quickly convertible. And you do not have to bend over to take them on, take them off or put them on. That, there is nothing like in the footwear game whatsoever. Closest thing, slides, but not slips, babe. Mm -mm. They're speechless. But, They're speechless. But, well, I mean, it's just, how many times can I just keep saying socks? Look, I yeah, love the rhetoric. All for yeah. the sexual health of uh, humanity. All sure, put on some warm socks. Yeah. Here's, I'm going to throw this. And up. frankly, I think socks should be getting sexier. I think that's a huge opportunity. Sorry, Medina, go ahead. 
here's the thing about slippers, okay? I don't, you guys don't have children. Producer Mark's listening to this right now. He has two children. When you have young children, they put food all over the floor and other things, but there's always food and yucky stuff on the floor in the breakfast time frame, which is when you're wearing your socks or your slippers. If you have only socks, then you're stepping in yucky stuff on your socks. If you have slippers, there's a sole there. It's cool to step on the stuff with the sole of the slipper. You're golden. And so, I don't know. For me, that's what tilts me towards. Uh, oh, but that that that, but that wasn't in to the do debate. With the debate, Medina. Yeah. You're just a third guy on that side now. I'm I'm trying to. You're not judging the debate. You jumped in. What was left on the table? Well, that that might be an argument for our side. Debate. I have about one, two, three. Maybe you could argue four pairs of slippers, and they all have a different kind of. Uh, well, what are they? We never did host wow. chat. What are they? Yeah. What are, you, are host chat? What are your slippers, man? I've got a sort of a, a L.L. Bean leathery pair that's yeah. harder to put on, but you can go indoor to outdoor. That's nice. And it, even if it's a little bit wet outside. I've got a f- sort of like a felt-like uh, pair that um, can be worn in a pinch, like out of the house, because they look like a style shoe, but they're mostly uh, a soft indoor house shoe. I've got a pair of deer skin um, moccasins that are only indoor and could be worn from the floor to they could be worn on the couch with your feet up on the couch and my newest pair just arrived this Christmas uh, a, a pair of leather sort of um, backless foot like slide in kind of um, Swedish like uh, slippers mm, very sexy gold leather and they're they're very very comfy and dope damn so okay we got a great advertisement for slippers i just wish it had been the guys debating for them me too by the way i have plenty of great songs (laughs) well guys (laughs) very yeah what a year what a year what a year. I'm really glad we did this. Thank you guys, as always, for uh, letting me uh, have a seat at the big table. Yes, thank you for another great year on Come Great on. Debates. We love it. Our pleasure. Yeah, hey, guys, we had a good year trying to connect as best we could. And I think this was a good example of that. So hopefully we'll see you very soon again on The Great Debates. I am going to make it. The Great Debates is produced by Mark Caricello. The theme song was composed by Christopher Knight. The debaters are Steve Healy and Dave King, and the podcast is moderated by Dan Medina.